The following content is not suitable for children. Amazing things withdrawers can do instead of withdrawing to avoid that conflict. Welcome to Foreplay Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. I'm Lori Watson, your sex therapist. And I'm George Fallon, your couples therapist. And we are passionate about talking about sex and helping you develop a way to talk to each other. Our mission is to help our audience develop a healthier relationship to sex that integrates the mind, the heart, and the body. Just as we begin, please remember to check out Uberlube. Uberlube.com is where you can get this great lubricant and help support Foreplay Radio. Lori, let's have some fun today. Good. I am anxious to hear what you're going to advise us, what we are going to advise people about things other than withdrawing that will help. Why do withdrawers withdraw again? Tell us. Hey, listen, because it works well for them. Yeah. That going away, taking space is what makes them feel safe. They can think more clearly. There's less pressure, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of training. Our culture loves this ability to be calm under pressure. So space brings calmness for a lot of withdrawers. Mm-hmm. And when people withdraw, it can make their pursuer anxious, right? Exactly. So, so we want to give them some tools about what to do other than that. Tell us about your story, how you've been doing the dishes. Hey, listen, I've been doing dishes at the firehouse long before I started doing them in my own house. But <laughs> yes, there's, I mean, I think we all want to find little ways of helping out and, and giving back and serving those we love. So I wake up in the morning. If there are any dishes, I like to make sure it's done and so my wife wakes up, I get the coffee ready. I'm trying to, uh, it's nice to have your day start off nice, right? Uh-huh, right. So I'm, I'm trying to set the scene, trying to kind of launch us into a very successful day. And all right, then I make my shake. I want to get a nice healthy breakfast. What's in your shake? I throw a banana, some protein, some yogurt, you know, mix it all up in uh-huh. there and try to get myself started right too. And my wife comes down, and it'd be nice to hear a little, a little. hey, thanks for doing the dishes, a little smile on the face. But no, what's the first thing she says? Why are you drinking out of the, you know, the, the whatever the mixer the blender, thing is? Yeah. The blender glass. I should why pour it. Why do you do that, you can't Because man. why are you going to do extra dishes? Why am I going to pour it into a glass? Now I have two to do. I might as well just drink it out of the one. It's more efficient. I see, I see. The way my brain works. But anyway, so what do you do when she says that? Like, what's what's your typical response inside? Inside, my brain says, "Really?" And then it's just like I walk away. Okay, so first you get a little bit irritated. Yes. And in order to not let that irritation out, you withdraw. You go away. You leave the scene. And normally I go away, I finish my shake and whatever next. Then I, you know, come back. All right, so what do we got to get? And and it's kind of gone. I'm Uh letting it go. So do you think she sees that cross your face, that that little bit of irritation? Oh, sure. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. And, you know, I don't. But we're trying to figure out what I can do instead of just walking away. Right. And instead of having that, that experience inside, too, right? Like, I think, you know, if we have tools... And we have go-tos. It reduces our own reactivity too. I, I tell parents all the time because, you know, every once in a while people come in and they, they want to talk about their children and they've lost their mind or they've yelled at their kids or 
something. And I think that parents, when they feel powerless and helpless, that's when they lose it. And I think right. the same thing is probably with a withdrawer. When you, when you don't have a ready go-to, then that makes the most sense. If you just think, if I say anything here, if I express my irritation, we're going to have a big conflict. The, the morning is not going to go well. Then why say anything at all? Exactly. And I, I love what you're saying because it it's about trying to come up with a move before you actually get triggered. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to figure this out while it's happening, it's just, emotions just move too fast. Mm -hmm. So much of our mission in this podcast is to get people to be more intentional, to put energy and effort into these conversations so you're set up more for success. So when we think about these withdrawers, they're going away to feel safe. If you want them to not go away, then finding a way for them to feel safe is what's going to be so critical. And the withdrawers play a role in this themselves. Like, how can they make themselves feel safe? If mm -hmm. they can make themselves feel safer, there's less of a need to have to go away. Right. So, if they have another move that's going to de-escalate the situation, then they'll try that. Exactly. And withdrawers have to recognize that when they do go away, they're hiding their own emotions, their own fear. They're doing what everyone else does, which is to not really see them in these places. So I think the really a, a different move for most withdrawers is to, right in that moment, right before they go away, to notice that fear. That for me, that oh, fear or message that feels unfair, whatever it is. So for me, with that glass, it's like, really? I mean, it's, it's, it's not feeling appreciated. It's feeling kind of seen, just picked on, criticized, this, this criticized right? And, and to talk about that's going to lead to a fight. So inevitably what I do when I go away though is I hide my need to be seen or responded to. So I think mm -hmm. that first part is really getting a withdrawal to wrestle with themselves a little bit mm -hmm. and to notice that take a moment to name that feeling. And then if I feel like I'm being criticized or I feel like I'm not being seen or I'm not being appreciated, then going away is not really going to fix that problem for me. It's not going to make things worse, but it's not actually going to get any responsiveness in those places. Mm -hmm. So how do I give that to myself? If I'm feeling a bit scared or a bit criticized, how do I notice that and then say to myself, well, wait a second. You actually talking about this, are you actually trying to engage, you standing up for yourself, that's actually a sign of courage. Mm -hmm. So you notice how that, I start to reposition myself on how, how I'm doing this emotion. Instead of letting the, the not feeling safe immediately set this default move that I don't even realize I'm doing, that intentional mindfulness is saying, wait a second, if I do that, right, I'm not allowing myself to be seen. Like, mm -hmm. they, I have a right to actually express. It's this making myself feel safer that actually grounds me, which allows me to stay more engaged in this process. If I don't deal with that safety piece, and so often we think the safety is just a part in the responding, no, how we respond to ourselves can go also a long way towards making us feel grounded. We talk a lot about that in EFT, like how to become aware of your reactivity and what's happening and ask people to check their bodies. You know, when they feel threatened in some way, the body often is the fastest alert. I know that when I feel attacked, I, I kind of feel it in the back of my eyes and down my spine. 
You know, and that tells me I'm experiencing danger in some way. And that tells me often faster than my mind can comprehend that I'm really feeling something bad when, you know, when somebody's accusing me of something or criticizing me. Even pursuers, right, often take the other side and, and feel like withdrawing when they're criticized. So where do you feel it when your wife says, I can't believe you're drinking from the blender again? I feel it more of like a pressure in my shoulders. Like I can mm. feel my clench, my fists clenching. Mm. Because my, my initial response would want to be to fight back, to mm. kind of express, are you kidding me? But I mm. also know when we go down that road, it makes it so much worse. Mm-hmm. It's actually a quite loving thing I'm trying to do to protect myself and protect the relationship from it, it starting to get too hot. Right. 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 So withdrawers don't always just go away. They often feel angry. They feel all kinds of things. But in this case, your going away is the calming it down. I'm not going to attack my wife over something little. Even if I feel attacked over something little, I'm not going to do that back. I'm just going to get a hold of myself. Right. I'm mm-hmm. going to get distracted. I'm going to focus on something else. This emotion will pass and then we'll reset and start over again in a little while. Mm-hmm. But what I'm not recognizing in that move is what I'm doing to myself, which is I'm not making space to really every emotion is a signal is trying to communicate what we need, what to kind of change. And if I'm chronically hiding that feeling, I'm not getting the solution off into that feeling. Right. But we're not necessarily saying go ahead and counterattack. Go ahead and, and push back with counter criticism. Right. Well, we know where that one tends to go. Yeah. So it's about trying to, instead of being angry, it's, it's really about being more assertive. It's, it's tapping into that part of yourself that says, hey, wait a second here. Space isn't actually going to make, it's going to make me feel safer in the immediate moment. But what it's going to do, I know what disengagement does to my partner. And I'm also starting to recognize what disengagement does for me, which means I never get, I mean, what would you do if you actually knew that underneath I felt discouraged, I felt not seeing, not appreciated, I felt kind of down, I felt beat up, right? And, and you, I could express that in a way that you actually heard the vulnerability in that. If you were my wife, how do you think you'd respond? Yeah, I think that that would check me, right? It's like, I, I want to know what my partner's feeling. And so if I heard that my actions had kind of pushed them into that place, I might've thought about how I had said that, you know, how I had said the thing that had pushed them into this bad, more defensive place and have rephrased it. I I actually, my husband and I had a conversation about this and we're kind of on opposite sides when it comes to politics. And he had said something that really was one of the first times I had heard him come to my side of the aisle, I guess. And in the morning, I said, I really appreciated you saying that. That gave me a lot of relief. And I said, and then basically, I went on for five minutes about how he never does that. (laughs) You know, you never do that. I've never really heard that. It's been so discouraging, blah, 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 blah. And I can visibly see him reacting. And, And I'm a little confused because I... I felt we were in a softer place, and that's why we could talk about this. Finally, then he kind of finally, says to me, I finally <laughs> he comes forward. So we're gonna pile on and remind him of all the times he doesn't come forward, because that's gonna motivate him to do what? Right. 
That's going to be our next podcast. In my mind. We're going to talk about these pursuers and how to get them to actually see the value in backing off and giving space and not not piling on. But continue. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, he eventually says, you know, essentially that, you know, you're piling on. It's like you've, you've now just told me. 10 times about how I didn't do it right. And you've opened with, I did it right and you were grateful. And now you've told me 10 times I didn't do it right. And I heard it. I really did hear it. It was really hard because it's an important subject to me, but I heard why he got defensive and, and what I had done. And it, you know, it was new. It, It felt good that he didn't just go upstairs and get onto his computer, that he told me what he was feeling and I did think, yep, I did that. I did it again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, good for you for owning your part of it. I mean, ultimately, if we want him to engage more, he's going to have to have success in doing it. So if, if engaging and seeing your side leads to piling on, we know what that's going to lead to inside of him. Well, and also right? I think, though, the other piece, his engagement was not just about politics, right? His engagement was feeling comfortable enough to tell me why he was getting defensive, what I was doing, kind of representing himself. That, to me, was more meaningful than right. anything to do with politics, that he came to me explaining us from his perspective. That that was helpful. I love it how we, we're talking about the pursuers again. We get pulled right into their world, okay, right? Which this is so often what happens in relationships. Is, you know, Our dynamics is similar to what you're going to see with couples out there. That as, mm-hmm. as we're trying to focus on how to get the withdrawer to engage, the focus starts to shift towards what's happening for the pursuer, right? Mm-hmm. And before you know it, that's easier to talk about because they have a lot of emotions, right? So you're mm-hmm. really trying to talk about the good reasons why you pile it on. And I find my own interest kind of swinging in that direction, mm-hmm. right? But then what happens to the space for that withdrawer? Mm-hmm. So I love the idea of connecting before I go to part two, which is fixing or giving advice. It's really a motto that I, I try to live and certainly as a therapist that I'm trying to encourage my, my partners to really focus on. It's like, how do you, if the focus is this withdrawer learning to kind of engage, that's where we need to keep the focus. It's on view of that withdrawer instead of what's happening in the pursuer's world. That's a different conversation that is really important and we need to get to, but it's really hard to do both of them simultaneously. I agree. But I guess what I was trying to say was that one of the things I think a withdrawer can do is represent themselves. Sure. And that that makes a difference inside, even though they're afraid it's going to be conflictual. At least my experience was... It was, it was settling down. It, it felt like he came toward me. So I guess that's why I bring it up. Yeah, and I love the, the shifting of levels. He didn't come forward with just the information around politics. He came forward from his own experience. He let you into his world, which is right. really what you're looking for. Right. Right. So again, that's that's the question we're trying to answer. How do we see get these withdrawals to see the value in doing that? So let's take a break and we'll come back and pick this up. Okay. We are grateful to UberLube for still sponsoring us. This is a fantastic lube. If you haven't tried it yet, please check it out at uberlube.com with the coupon foreplay. 
which gives you 10% off. I keep forgetting to tell people that. They can support yeah. us and they can try this great lubrication, which is really, it's made out of a high-grade silicone. And, you know, I do all kinds of ratings on lubrications just in my work. And silicone doesn't get absorbed into the body, so it... It really provides smooth touch, smooth intercourse, a great glide. It's scent-free. It is taste-free. So you can switch from foreplay to oral sex to intercourse with no problem. Well, if you're using Uber Lube to enhance and relax your body, then it's just that much easier to open up your mind and expand your heart. And having something fun that makes sex even better, I would love for you to try Uber Lube. Support the Foreplay podcast and save 10% off your order when you use the coupon code FOREPLAY at uberlube.com. We've done two Facebook Lives for our patrons, George, and we try to do that once a quarter. We try to send newsletters and give exclusive material. But it's really, we are grateful for people who believe in our mission to help couples keep it hot and help inform people and help them talk about sex, help them get better at their sexual relationship. Right. And partnering with us is, it's really an honor to know people are joining us on this mission, that this is a an effort to produce and for the listeners to put aside time. And, and we hope that's valuable. But when, when we join forces, it's just a lot easier to get that message out there. So we so appreciate the support, both financial and just to make those ratings and to spread the word because mm-hmm. our world really needs it. It does. And we get so many letters from people, not just patrons that are grateful for what we're doing and say it's changing their lives and, So if you want to help us change the world, we would appreciate that support. And certainly this is something that our hearts are in and we've given a lot to and you can join with us. All right, Lori. So this, for me, these withdraw to get them to not go away. It's a two part process. The first part is really how they see themselves, how they can start grounding themselves, trying to find safety in staying, right, and acknowledging it takes courage that they're proud of themselves for not going away. If they can increase the sense of safety, there's less of a need to have to go away. So it's how they're wrestling with themselves that gives them a better chance of staying grounded. Part two is going to be how do they then see their partner differently? How do they get more curious about the function of their partner's criticism? This isn't a surprise. They've had these conversations to start reminding themselves to be prepared for when their partner is angry or critical. That anger and criticism is really their hope. They're trying to motivate change. You know, they're needing engagement. That's the whole function of it. So really getting that withdrawal to get to be a little bit more curious to say, hey, why is my wife making this comment about me drinking out of this, you know, blender glass? It seems pretty unfair and doesn't see the big picture, but there's something about that that I'm missing. That's why she's kind of making this critical comment. It's Mm -hmm. the curiosity that starts to get the withdrawal to take the focus off of what they're doing wrong and put it on their partner to say, what is this about? If when I'm able to do that with my wife, it's usually that she's she's got a ready overscheduled day, 
right? So when she sees that me drinking, chances are she's the one that's going to have to clean that glass when it gets thrown into the sink. Like her brain has just been trained when people don't do their end of the work, it falls on her lap, right? So as soon as she can point it out, it's her chance of actually getting help. Can she work on saying that differently? Sure. But can I start seeing it's not about trying to beat me up. It's about really wanting help. You see the different reframe on that? Yes. So how do you do that? When you feel criticized, you feel it in your shoulders, and you're telling yourself, this is unfair. Like, help me trace that transition into curiosity. The difference between the best couples and the worst couples is just that ability to repair. You don't have to be able to do it in the moment, but at some point, you got to get back to having this conversation. So in the, the example I gave, I did walk away. We didn't have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But we had the conversation the next uh, that night. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's getting more comfortable with these same triggers. Why does my wife need to tell me I'm doing something wrong? That because it's coming from this place where she's overwhelmed and she needs help. When I start noticing that, I start to have a different response to her criticism. Or she could work on saying it a little bit differently. But my work is preparing myself You know, so in that moment, sometimes it's still hard. And most of the time, I'm probably still going to walk away because I want to avoid the fight. But maybe instead of walking away for two hours, I only walk away for 10 minutes and I come back and I say, hey, not for nothing. I know that you don't want extra work thrown on top of you. Right. You're doing a great job. But, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I'm aware of that and I do the dishes and I straighten out and I make my own breakfast, that's my way of trying to chip in. And when the first thing I hear is not any mention of those things I did, but the one thing I didn't do right, if that's what's highlighted, that really feels pretty bad for me. And I don't want to engage. It makes me kind of go away. And I know when I go away, that tends to set off our negative cycle. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think my wife would hear that? I think it would be good. You're talking about your, you're tracing for her out loud your side of it as well as what you know you normally do, which sets her off. So at least I think, I think the good thing about that as I'm listening is, okay, you know, my partner's aware of their natural response. And that awareness gives me hope because they're not just on autopilot anymore. They're not going to just do it. They're thinking about it. They know that it bugs me. You know, the withdrawal, the walking away bugs me. So I think that's helpful to hear that. That's that compliment sandwich, right? If I can start off, I know my wife's trigger, right, when Mm -hmm. I'm going away. So if I can start off reminding myself of that process, compliment, my my criticism, compliment, it, it usually gives me a better chance. So if I would say, hey, listen, I know how hard you work. Right. And when you're angry, you're really just trying to kind of ask for some help. So I'm trying to not take that so personal. I'm trying to connect with that first. Mm -hmm. Now, here comes my experience. But, you know, I really worked really hard. And when I just hear that without any of the good stuff, just the bad stuff, that really feels pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And then finish it. But, you know, that's why I'm sharing this, because I I don't want it to lead to that where I walk away and you feel like I'm not listening and you feel more pressure on you. Like I want to push in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to help each other because you're so special to me that that. (laughs) Okay. You like that special. (laughs) I did. I liked that special. I wasn't sure I believed it, though. <laughs> well, that's, that's your work, We're t- to be covered on another podcast. 
<laughs> right? But it's it's helpful to know what's what's driving it for you. So often you're pushing, you're testing, you're asking because it doesn't feel like I'm so engaged or that you're so special because it's so easy for me to walk away as a withdrawer. I need to know your world so I can speak to it. The more I'm telling you, I feel blessed to have you. You're pretty amazing. I appreciate all that you do. I mean, that is the antidote to so much of that criticism. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the coming forward. It is talking about your feelings. It's also talking about your positive feelings about her, not just the negative, I feel criticized by you. I mean, I think a lot of times when pursuers are saying, you know, tell me what's happening tell me what you feel, they're, they're looking for reassurance and you're offering that. I think you could have just said, though, you know, I know I'm such a caveman. You know, I'm drinking from the blender again. Like humor sure. might have worked too. I mean, it, it was a micro That's uh, usually It's usually a move I use a lot. Do you? Yes, humor, which always use humor a lot because they're trying to kind of diffuse the situation. But oftentimes they're told their humor is inappropriate or has poor timing. So that's a risky thing to do. So if I would kind of come up to my wife and say, you know, yeah, you're right. I just, I'm never going to learn. I, you know what? I, I don't know. And I start <laughs> laughing and she says, yeah, you're never going to learn. I, this is just ridiculous. And how that, yeah, that, yeah, that feels real bad once I try to stay engaged with humor. So just, just to notice, I mean, pursuers listen and that that's even as much as the timing feels bad, it really is the withdrawer's attempt to kind of stay engaged, to not have to walk away. Mm -hmm. What about just hugging your partner or saying good morning, darling, or something? Does that work? Again, another move that withdrawers often use is they don't want words because they, they just want to shrink the distance with touch. But a lot of times the pursuer pushes the touch away because they, they don't feel understood. They feel like they're just being placated with the touch. So yes, if the touch or the laughter works, I'm all for it. But I really want to help my withdrawers be ready if the pursuer can't trust it and mm. pushes it away. Interesting. Those are things that work for me. So <laughs> when my husband makes a joke or comes up and hugs me, I mean, that that often de-escalates for me and I kind of see how ridiculous this might be. And, I mean, this is a, a light situation. But if you think about moments where you're really activated and you want words, you really want him to engage you to understand mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. right. Then that laughter or that kind of touch might not be kind of exactly what you're looking for. True. That would be deflection. I think one of the things I see the most with withdrawers is they try to make their partner happy. So they say they'll do something or, you know, they'll be home at a certain time or whatever. And, and they set the deadline too short for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, I'll be home right after work. It'll take me a half an hour to get there. I'll, I'll be there. And the issue is not so much, I think, for the pursuer that they're looking for a soon, soon deadline. I mean, that might be nice, but they're looking for something accurate. And the withdrawer doesn't push out far enough, doesn't represent what will make them feel relaxed about that commitment. This one took me 10 years to learn. It's, it's so true. I remember when I'd go out after work with the guys from the firehouse 
you know, my wife would always say, well, how long are you going to be? I'd always be like, oh, an hour, two hours tops. Mm-hmm. And like, because why am I saying that? I don't want to get into a fight at the start of it. I just want to like, in my heart, I think that's all it's going to take. And I just, you know, I just kind of say that to make her happy and, you know, have a good time. Great. And, and then you, before and you're you hearing know it. Her, you're hearing pressure. You think you're hearing pressure. Maybe like how long is it going to take? Like, okay, right. she wants me there as soon as possible. So you respond to that part of it. Exactly. You're just, you're in damage control, right? You're just trying to kind of make Mm -hmm. it in that moment feel, and yet inevitably two hours would turn into three or four hours because you're with everybody. It's having fun. Time just seems to move. And before you know it, now I'm coming home and I'm in trouble all the time, Mm -hmm. right? With this inevitable fight, Mm -hmm. right? And just kind of recognizing, even if that's the track record, then you're better off starting with, I really want to come home in two hours, but I know in the past that hasn't happened because things get caught up. So realistically, it's probably going to be three hours. So it's like, right? I'm, I'm going out for the evening. After work, I'm just going to go out for the evening. And then if you get home in three hours, maybe she's happy, you know, because she thought you were going to be out the rest of the night. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that feels so much better. I mean, the rare time I'd actually come home in two hours, it would be like, you know, I won some kind of award. Like it was, it was really so different than those years of just the same fight over and over again. So really, and how did I, I make that shift? I started to recognize my wife's perspective and how hard it is to think I'll be home in two hours and to chip in and do different things. And then I'm not. And where does that leave her? So if, if my just more accurate assessment really gives her a lot more predictability, to, that honors her experience. So when she says to you, how long is that going to take? Do you go through that same sort of feeling like, oh, no, I'm, I'm feeling that tension in my shoulders. I mean, is it like suffocating? Like she, she just wants too much of me or what, what goes on? And how do you mitigate those feelings? I think you were saying it earlier. So often you just want people to be happy. You you Mm -hmm. know, if you're, if you just say two hours in that moment, it's, it's going to feel like better for you and better for your partner. You know, yeah, no, probably it's going to be quick. And just a couple, you know, have a drink and two hours, boom. So like saying that in that moment, you really believe you're hoping that's what's going to happen. But then the reality is once you get out somewhere else, it turns into it. Now other people are wanting you to hang out. What do you mean you got to go one more? You know, you get that same feeling <laughs> with your wife, with your friends. So then you wind up doing to them what you did to your wife. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want everyone to be happy. But you're setting yourself up to kind of disappoint everybody with that kind of that that mindset. So it is about facing that more it's increasing your tolerance to be in discomfort to mm-hmm. kind of be able to say to your wife, Hey, listen, I know you want to hear two hours. I'd want to say that it would allow me to leave this room feeling better, but I'm going to have to pay a lot of a big price when I come home in four hours. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather kind of handle that discomfort with you now and be upfront and say, Hey, I'm shooting for two, but our track record said it's probably going to be four. Mm-hmm. Right. That gives my wife a lot more respect and really kind of just honoring, you know, what she's sitting home waiting. And we got to do a podcast on the other end of that. So when you hear it, you're saying that the, when the withdrawer hears the demand or request or complaint from the pursuer, 
one of the things that goes through them is they, they just want to make them happy. So they're willing, the way they're going to respond to it is what's the shortest way I get my partner happy again right now, not necessarily in the future, but right now. Exactly. I tell them what they want to hear. They want to get it right. That's why they're so sensitive to the message they're doing it wrong. Their operating system is to make people happy to get it right. So, you know, in these little moments, I want to just tell you, I want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And I don't recognize that just kind of saying that quick off the cuff actually sets me up to then be getting it wrong four hours later. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, George, for letting us in on the world of the withdrawer. And what I'm hearing is that you want the withdrawer to sort of become more self-aware of their needs and their feelings so that they can stay in the game and also thinking about what their partner needs, not necessarily just hearing the attack or the frustration from their partner and representing themselves early in the, in the issue. You're nailing it, Lori. Again, the withdrawers are not helpless here. It's not all about helping their pursuer respond differently to them. That's part two. The withdrawers, part one is they got to start understanding themselves better and start taking kind of ownership for these moves that just happened so fast. Okay, keep it hot. Thanks for listening. And P.S., please tune in to our Patreon page so that you can catch the next exclusive episode and our next Facebook Live. We appreciate you joining us to spread this really important message. Call in your questions to the 4Play Question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-4PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor.